The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Chris. And we have a very special guest today, Stuart London, one of our contributors here at the Sixer Sense. And we are excited to bring a couple of different fun subjects today. Stuart, how are you doing, man? I haven't seen you since last summer. I know. It's been a while, Lucas. Maybe we'll have to get back together again sometime, but it's great to talk to you and Chris. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. Chris, how are you doing? Chris, Uriah, guys, how are, you, how are we doing tonight? Hey, guys. Um, I'm doing good. Glad everyone's here, everyone's safe, and we get to talk some Sixers basketball. I'm excited. Most definitely, most definitely. And we want to make sure that we, uh, you know, this is a hard time in America right now, and we just want to give some uh, fun topics in regards to basketball to help, you know, for some people that want to, you know, not escape, but for people that want to hear about basketball, that's what we're here. We're going to talk basketball. So we have a couple of different subjects. And like last week with Uriah, this time we're going to have, we had Stuart choose our subject. So our first subject, Chris is going to introduce. Go ahead, Chris, take it away. Yeah. So I think it's natural for us to kind of jump in with the whole conversation around Disney World. A number of reports from ESPN and various sources seem to indicate that the league is aiming to return sometime in late July at the uh, Disney World complex down in Orlando, Florida. It's probably going to be something along the lines of 20 to 22 teams returning. And luckily for us, Stewart has actually had the privilege, I guess, of coaching AAU basketball at Walt Disney World in the past. So very timely to have him on and discuss that. So we're just going to go to Stuart straight away. Stuart, can you just give us a broad overview of what your experience was like coaching um, at Disney World? Uh, first of all, you have to know, for people who've been to Disney World, I think a lot of people probably listening have, when you drive where it is, if you drive to the Magic Kingdom, the main road, there's a little side road like right before it. That takes you to the wide world of sports complex. Number one, it's big. It's really big there's football there's soccer the Atlanta Braves have a uh, a minor league team that plays in the baseball stadium there that's where we had opening ceremonies for AU Nationals uh, there's two huge basketball complexes called the Fieldhouse and the arena and the big thing about it is that there's courts besides the two main ones like I know people talked about Vegas where you know they when some people want to have it and you have the two arenas there that you use for summer league. But the difference here is that you've got the main courts in each complex, the arena and the field house, but you have also other full-length basketball courts. Probably a little too small. Like if you know a big square in each corner has like a full-length basketball court and some chairs and some things like that. Probably can't televise it, I'm guessing, but you can practice. You could have, say, which is very important since these teams haven't played in three months, you could have like say Sixers, Pistons or whatever and on the main court. You could have four other teams practicing. Well, and if they really want to do it, it's, you know, you could act, you could have games. I don't know how the TV would like it too much, but if you want to cram it all in, you could literally have probably eight to 12 NBA games going on at the same time, if need be. But the big thing is, it's private, 
they can do what they want. They can block off things, I think. And well, and of course there's Disney World, which was good for my like, you know, 10 year old and 16 year old girls basketball teams that went back. That was fun. They don't know that there, but it's, it's its own, as everyone says, knows it's been, there's its own little world. There's with no fans, there's plenty of space. And I think the big thing is they also have places to practice. So I think that's going to be, a, I think it's probably a major thing that uh, the NBA was looking at for that. It's going to be weird, though, to see, uh, you know, Joel Embiid and uh, Ben Simmons play on the same court that uh, they said my 10-year-old uh, girls team was uh, playing. And it's going to be weird. I strode to set. Brett Brown will stride the same sidelines that I did. I lost in the finals, so hopefully he does a little better. Yeah, I think, I think that's super cool. And I think the point you brought up, especially about practice, is going to be important because none of these teams have played competitive basketball for two – going on two months two plus months now uh and however many teams return they're basically going to have to have some sort of mini training camp to get ready to play so they're going to have to have a lot of teams in a very in a as you mentioned an enclosed environment so i think that's definitely an important factor lucas do you have any thoughts on what Stuart just said i think i i i remember going to the disney world when i was in eighth grade but i sadly did not get the pleasure of going to worldwide the sports complex there. Uh, I remember being near it because that's where our motel rooms were and Disney World. But I, I sadly did not get to see that. But I, I know for a fact how big Disney World is, just from my memories back then. And I, if the NBA really wanted to, they could probably host all thirty teams. But by sounds of it, it looks like it's going to be more to twenty to twenty-two teams, leaning toward twenty-two teams. But I think the size of it is definitely more than capable of uh, mm-hmm. holding all, 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 all 22 teams if the NBA needs to. Well, I have a question for both of you guys. I know in summer league they just play all day. Do you think real NBA games and mostly NBA playoff games, do they just go 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and just – you know, play all day, or are they going to just make it a couple games a night on each place? So that's going to be very interesting. Could we have like Sixers Celtics Tuesday, 10 a.m., like Fort B? Yeah. That's a good question. I I think it's, I don't know if they're going to be starting at, at, you know, 9 or 10 a.m. Eastern time, but I think it's very, very possible that they start early afternoon and go through, you know, 9 or 10 at night. Um, I think it's sort of a unique environment just because a lot of people are still at home all day at the moment. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what TV viewership is like for these games when they do resume, uh, assuming they do, which all indications seem to point towards it happening. I, so, I could I, see – sorry. No, go ahead. I, I was just saying I could see them having a, a start time as early as like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but I wouldn't expect anything to like – four or five more likely because that's when people are getting home from their nine to five jobs assuming that there are still people you know obviously there's still people that have nine to five jobs but i would expect that would be probably a closer start time than the 10 a.m one like the summer league but if you want to get the most games in and get it done quicker the more slots you do so i know in summer league you know i think the sixers in vegas had some like i remember getting up very early in the morning to watch uh uh, games. I think they started 9 a.m. So I'm just wondering how, mm-hmm. just how they're going to handle it. That they just want to jam as many games, get it you know, over as quickly, and who knows? Not like they have another program, ESPN, and the other places, and ABC to go to anyhow. Yeah, I I think we we've never really had a situation like this before. So I I do think it's partially going to be them at least experimenting a little bit. Um, also, it depends on if they go straight to the playoffs or if we have a certain number of regular season games if it's just a play-in tournament for the eight seed in the West. So there are a lot of different factors that aren't really concrete yet um, that will determine eventually how this all plays out. But I, I do think it's it's an interesting question just because we really don't know how this is going to work, how well everything's going to work. I assume there are going to be difficulties at some point. I, I doubt this all runs smoothly just because the way this year's going, it just doesn't seem very likely. But uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. 
Well, just to give I, you the I, idea, real quick, the idea of the capacity of the wide world sports and Disney for basketball, my AU Nationals, there's boys and girls. It's number one, all the, but most of the NBA American players play their probably in AU championships. They actually know the place. Uh, they, but they host usually 70 to 80 teams, and they play for a whole week. So just to give you an idea how many courts. We don't, they don't, some of them don't play every day, but how many you know, spaces there are for basketball there. That is quite a lot. And I th- I want to piggyback off of what Chris said earlier, uh, you know, about what type of format we're going to have once we come back. I think – I don't think we're going to – if we're having 22 teams, I don't think there's going to be any more regular season games. But I could see there being some ex- ex- uh, exhibition games prior to the play-in tournament if they decide – I'm assuming that they're having a play-in tournament or else they would have just invited 16 teams. But I think – I think if the if you do exhibition games, which I think would be smart for everybody, I think you could definitely do some nine o'clock games with that because those are not like highly you know anticipated games. But at the same token, I think you know playoff games. I I feel like they're going to want to get those prime time games in as you know as much as possible as prime time time slots. So I think. Doing it during the days, well, uh, while totally possible, it just for me it feels like it would the NBA would lose out TV money just based off of viewership and ratings. So, but I think you know anything's possible, uh, and you know, like like Chris said, it was a very interesting question for sure. It made me had to think on it for. I'm here to make you think. By the way, do you guys subscribe to the Zion Williamson theory that uh, Adam Silver will come up with any kind of play uh, playoff or format that includes uh the pelican so people can go watch zion williamson uh maybe i yeah. think it's it's not just zion i think damian Lill- i mean i think everybody wants to see damian lillard try to take on lebron as a 8-1 matchup i think that would be a much more interesting 8-1 matchup one of the more interesting ones that we've seen probably since like what was it? The 2007 uh, Dallas Mavericks versus the Golden State Warriors, or even like the uh, wait, so weren't the Knicks the eighth seed back in '99? So, you know, I think that could be a possible fun matchup there. If the you know Portland's going to be is, is expected to be healthy at that point with Nurkic and Collins coming back from injuries, and now they have Melo, so you can imagine the type of. Uh, fight that they could give the Lakers in the first round, assuming that they'd still do East versus West. Yeah, I, I think as as much as the NBA is going to say that safety is the number one concern here, they're also going to be concerned with money. Like, they're going to want to recoup as much profit as they can, uh, considering how much they've lost during this, this pandemic. So Zion's obviously a big draw. He alone is going to bring in a decent amount of TV money, a decent amount of viewership. So I, I do think it's very possible that they are trying to do whatever they can to put Zion at least in position to uh, maybe sneak in there. Because I think Zion LeBron in the first round, you mentioned Lillard Lucas. I think Zion LeBron would be maybe an even bigger draw for fans, even though it's it's still his rookie season. I think that's fair, and I think with Zion would be the more catchy name, but I think matchup-wise, I think the the Portland Trailblazers would give the Lakers a much better fight than the young Pelicans. But you're right, big draw-wise, Zion is definitely the bigger name at this point, which is crazy to consider, considering that Damien's a top three-point guard in the NBA. You know, it's just like mind-boggling there. But I want to, I you know, Stuart, you talked about making trying to make us think. I want to make you think now. Would you think if the Sixers win a title this season, do you think there would be an asterisk next to it? I think there would be an asterisk in terms of other people in the country. I think in Philadelphia, you'll get your 2 million people at the parade and people will be going crazy. Uh, I know people throw up this 1999 San Antonio Spurs because they wanted the shortened season close a lockout, and they say, "Well, that could be an asterisk." My personal opinion is, every you know, the rules of every year, you, everyone's playing by it. Every year, it's different. You, you play by the rules. Everyone plays by them. If you want it, you want a championship. It's the NBA championship. They've won it, and that, as far as I'm concerned, there's no asterisk for me. But other people, like 
Austin or Milwaukee, if we have no one in our LA, we'll say, oh, well, if their regular season had been played, we would have won. I'm like, well, you know, you, you play what you, the schedule tells you to play. The schedule says this is what we're playing. Everyone's playing it. The Sixers come out on top. Hey, you're the champions. Let's, uh, let's, get, let's get ready for the parade. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on, Stuart. I, I think Philadelphia is interesting just because the Sixers probably have the widest range of possible outcomes of just about any team in the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they could get swept by Boston in the first round, and I wouldn't really be surprised. And then they could also get to the finals, and it wouldn't be the craziest thing that's ever happened. This is just a really weird team and very weird circumstances. But as far as an asterisk goes, I personally, like you, I don't see how you could give one just because every team is operating under the same circumstances, the same disadvantages. I don't think this pandemic has benefited anyone in in specific. I I don't think you could. People obviously will just because Philly might seem like a bit of a fluky team to win this year, but I I personally can't see you really making an argument to to put put an asterisk next to anyone who, who wins this year. I'm I'm gonna actually disagree with you, Chris, but not on the asterisk part. Well, kind of on the asterisk part, but I think it's fair to say that Philly has benefited from this break. Because let's face it, before the break, it was looking like the Sixers were gonna be without Ben Simmons in the playoffs, and without Ben Simmons, there was a likely first round exit. And you know, who knows what would have happened to the franchise? Ben Simmons is all but healthy now. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. So I think in that regard, it gives this break has definitely benefited the Sixers more than most teams. Maybe Portland gets some benefit. Maybe I, you know, they say Durant and Kyrie aren't coming back, but if they get matched up in a one through sixteen uh, seating against LeBron, it's kind of hard to imagine Katie says no to that. I think the other thing is, and Zach Lowe has mentioned this on his podcast multiple times, that if uh, there is. Uh, whoever gets the championship this year will actually get an asterisk in a positive sense is that, you know, after this long layoff, after, you know, whatever chemistry or momentum you were building died, you were able to come back, bring it all back together, fight through whatever new playoff system, which it looks like they're going to have at least a new playoff system for this postseason. Uh, You were able to battle through that, uh, you know, adversity and, you still won the championship. So there, it could be a positive asterisk, but I think it, it wouldn't, it would be foolish to say the Sixers have benefited a little bit more than other teams from this break in return, in terms of health for Ben Simmons. So yeah. that's, that's my take on that. I, th- I think that's fair. And I, th- I think you bring up a good point with just regard to injuries, because we have seen like, for example, Boyan Bogdanovich has undergone season ending surgery for the Jazz. So in a sense, maybe some teams have altered their decision-making. Certain injuries have been nursed. So, yeah, maybe maybe you're right. I think there probably is some benefit, maybe some, some, maybe some downside for certain teams. But I think on the whole, every team has gotten a chance to get healthy. At least the players who are healthy have gotten a chance to kind of nurse the bumps and bruises of the regular season. So I think overall, this really doesn't – Sway too far to one far to one side or the other, but but I do think you bring up a good point, especially with Ben. Uh, okay. but, of course, if Embiid shows up thirty pounds overweight, then it was a bad bad uh, <laughs> idea to lay off the Sixers. That that that's that's, that's the true. flip side of it. Yeah. That is the flip side of it. Yeah, you guys um, remember the land. You guys remember the Landry Shamit story he told about he had to get like six milkshakes for. A, a road trip uh, for Embiid as part of his rookie deals. Oh goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in fairness to Joe, I, I think he has made a pretty concerted effort to improve in that respect. I think, I think he's talked about it, and I do think he's gotten better, at least with regard to his diet. But, but that's a fair point. <laughs> that, that is a fair point and I, I you know we could we could talk about the health of the Sixers all that you know how it could benefit or disbenefit Al Horford you know who knows but I want to go ahead and move uh, the subject along and I want to get into you know what possible path the Sixers could take into the playoffs you know if we do one through 16 seeding you know we could either go as you know the sixth seed uh, in the regular east versus west or you know we could go into a 12 the 12th seed or, you know, 
let's say we do play some regular season games, we could end up fourth or fifth in the East rankings. Which path do you think is easier? Do you think being a sixth seed in a regular playoffs, you know, facing off against Boston in the first round? Let's just keep it to a regular format for now. I, I want to move. I want to talk about that expanded uh, format here in a second. But you know, I, the sixth seed. Or do you think that would be easier, Stuart? Or do you think it would be easier if we were the fourth or fifth seed? I think it would be much easier for the sixth seed. I think I wrote about it in the sixth or sense. I think we had a an article about like who does this benefit like months ago when we all thought the you know we'd be already playing by now. That way it goes up. Number four, six. Now we play Boston, who's number three. We've beaten them three out of four times already. Uh, they are weak at center because we took Horford and be a healthy and beat should be able to go to town. Simmons seems to play better lately against them. They're, you know, they're not that experienced. The uh, Gordon Hayward in, in playoffs in terms of playing together. This version of the Celtics, if you beat them, then you've got Toronto. You went seven games and a lucky bounce with Kawhi Leonard against basically the same team. Without Kawhi Leonard, there's no reason to think in a playoff situation you couldn't beat them. Then you've got Milwaukee. They're good. However, we've always said from the beginning, and I think Elton Brand actually came out and said it, this team was built to defeat the Milwaukee Bucks. Will they do it? I don't know. They're pretty good. But this team has been built to defeat the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs. If they do that, then it's Lakers, Clippers. Hey, we've played them tough. We've beaten them both times they came to the Wells Fargo Center. We were, they were close games when we went without uh, Embiid, if you remember, on the West Coast. So I'll take our chances there. Now f- go fourth or fifth. It's Miami, Jimmy Butler, all that you know, aggravation. and you know, Oh, my goodness, here we come. He'd love to knock us out. And then you face Milwaukee in the second round instead of getting momentum from two uh, two uh, playoff series victories. So I, I think it's weird, but six is better than fourth or fifth. Yeah, I think you're right, Stuart. I I think in this instance, it's just avoiding Milwaukee for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, the Sixers kind of did build their roster around contending with Milwaukee, but I'm not quite sure it worked at this point though they are pretty well equipped uh to handle Giannis in comparison to some other teams so it could be an interesting matchup but um we have seen Philly have success against Boston this year especially early on in the season as you mentioned Joel has a huge matchup advantage in that series with Al gone and in Philly now um and yeah I really wouldn't want to face Jimmy in the first round just because I think that's there's a real big chance for some embarrassment there. I think Miami's a really tough team. I think they're a good team, and they match up pretty well with Philly. So I, I do think the sixth seed is probably the easiest path for them because, as you mentioned, it's just you don't have to face Milwaukee to the conference finals, and Boston is probably the more favorable between Miami, Indiana, and themselves in terms of uh, who Philly might have to play. So, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you guys. I don't like Miami as a matchup. I honestly think, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I think that's the first-round exit for us if we have to face off Miami. we've I think we've only won one game against them, and that was the first game we played against them this season. So, and please correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's that's the matchup. We have not matched up well, and they just – they have – they their defense is – strangling against our floor spacing. And I honestly, Jimmy would definitely take that personally. And I think he would torch us to be honest. And so I don't like that matchup. I, 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 uh, in regards to the Boston Celtics. Yeah. I think we would have a much easier chance of beating them. Like you guys already said, the interior, their 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 most talented centers uh, Ennis Cantor, who let's face it is a, li- a defensive liability. So I'm not worried about Boston. I think we could beat them despite their talented perimeter play. I think our defense our defensive wings can hold their own against the likes of Tatum, Brown, Kemba Walker, and Gordon Hayward. So I'm not worried about that. I am 
I'm honestly worried about the Toronto Raptors in the second round. And while they lost Kawhi Leonard, we lost Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick, I think their size can prove to be an issue for the Sixers. And I'm not too confident about a second-round matchup with the Raptors. I mean, it's better than meeting the Bucks in the second round, no doubt. But I think – I actually feel more confident against the Bucks than I do against the Raptors. I just think Nick Nurse is a great coach, and I think their defense is built to beat us. So I'm worried about that. But matchups are everything, and it could all change if we go to a 1 through 16 seeding where the Sixers are the 12th seed. We would still face Boston Celtics in the first round. But then in the second round, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we would be uh, play against the winner of the Dallas Mavericks Clippers uh, first round matchup, which would not be a fun matchup for us either. So either way, our second I think the second round will be a tough matchup for the Sixers if we go with traditional or if they go with one through sixteen. Yeah, I I think you make some good points, Lucas. I I would preface my points from before and moving forward with. The fact that, in my view, I think the Sixers could very well be a first-round exit this year, even if it is Boston, which, as we've all said, is a pretty favorable matchup for Philly. The Sixers have just been so inconsistent this year. Tatum has really come on strong uh, the second half of the season for the Celtics. I don't think that's a sure thing at all. I think Boston could very well win um, that series. Um, And, yeah, with regards to Toronto – the Sixers were really close last year, but the Raptors haven't gotten better, but the Sixers have also gotten notably, like notably worse. I, I don't think close to the same team that we had last season or last postseason. So, so I do think that's worth noting. I don't think that's a great matchup either. Um, so I, I do think this is going to be a tough road for the Sixers. I, I don't have great confidence in them, in them getting very far either way. But as you said, Lucas, if it's reseeded one through 16, that, that second and third round becomes pretty difficult road. That, that's a real buzzsaw. So I, I don't think that would benefit the Sixers whatsoever. So, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, I want to move on to the next subject here. Stuart, do you believe that the Sixers should want to go straight into playoffs or do you think they would want some regular season games or maybe some just uh, – some practice you know some practice games you know something along that line what do you think well if you agree that the Sixers should be the number six seed that'd be best you actually probably want them to go straight to the playoffs because right now they're actually tied in the record with Indiana but they lose a tiebreaker to Indiana that's why they're the sixth seed so a couple of a couple of you know wins and a couple of losses by Indiana and you're in a four or five seed thing, you're facing Miami, which we all agree. We really don't want to see Jimmy Butler, all the hoopla and all the attention that's going to be in the first round. So I would say a couple exhibition games, you know, just to get them ready, get their, you know, back to playing together and things like that. And let's just go to the playoffs and, and do with that that way I mean that'd be the advantageous way for the Sixers what they'll actually do I'm sure they'll probably have six or seven regular season games because then you can sell it to you know the regional sports networks and the NBA TV and the ESPN and TNT and blah 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 but if it was solely you know what is best for the Sixers it would be go right to the playoffs yeah I, I think you're right on Stuart um I think in Philadelphia's case, you know, just a few exhibition games that don't count for anything to get their legs under them, get Joel back in game shape, et cetera, would probably be ideal and then go straight to the playoffs. Um, But I think you brought up a good point with the the TV contracts. Uh, The NBA does have quotas to reach, ways to make money in that regard. So so I do think they're going to play as many games as they can safely or reasonably squeeze out of this. Um, So – I would not be surprised if we got at least a couple of weeks of regular season basketball via, um, before things got into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting part would be so, – So, yeah. Go ahead. I just want to throw a thing no, in. No, 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 go ahead. Go, go. 
question for Go you, ahead. Lucas, yeah, I guess. Ahead. You're good. And thank you. Uh, not to be ever see that, say that to me. Uh, here's a question. You want to be the sixth seed as an advantageous. If you're Brett Brown in those regular season games, you try to win, like go all out, or do you be like, hey, if I lose, I'm better set up for the playoffs? Norvell Pell, let him start a few games. You know, let's have Zaire Smith play 20, 25 minutes in a couple things. Just play everybody. And if we win, fine. If we don't, oh, well, I want to be number six anyhow. How do you think Brett Brown will uh, approach those games? Well, okay, so there's a couple things that I need to unpack here before I even get to that. Um, but you, so go on. I think we agree that the Sixers probably don't want any regular season games. I think they want exhibition games. But in terms of money, in terms of TV deal, I think as long as they broadcast those exhibition games, I think they'll, they'll still be able to fulfill their TV quota. But you know, and, and you know, it's not just for the Sixers; it's for every single team. So if they were really worried about every single team reaching that quota, which it doesn't sound like it, then they would have invited all 30 teams back instead of just 22. So I'm not, I don't, I honestly don't think they'll do as regular season games. I think they'll just televise the exhibition games. And to your point, Stuart, about asking about, you know, would the Sixers quote unquote tank those games if they do do regular season? Um, I don't think so. And, and here's the reason why. First off, I'm pretty sure Brett Brown's done ta- tired of tanking in Philadelphia. I think he's done. I, I, you know, he has experience, but I think he's done with that. And the other thing is, the Sixers, let, let's be real, most likely Shake Milton's going to take Al Horford's spot in, in, the, in the starting lineup, or at least to be, you know, maybe it's matchup dependent. But I th- would think that Brett Brown would love to get as much time as he can Shake Milton with the other starters, uh, excluding Horford in that equation because there, there really hasn't been any time where all, you know, Shake Milton's been in that starting with those other starters, you know, all healthy. So I think that would be something that Brett Brown would want to take advantage of as much as possible. And um, so I don't think he would be in that mindset of lose. I think he, he's the coach. He's trying to win as many games as possible. And while it might be strategically from like a management standpoint, they might try. I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, Elton Brand's going to tell him to lose. I think while it would be more strategic to lose, I don't think that's Brett Brown's mentality. I, I think he's proven that even during the process, he was trying to win. So, you know, I don't think they would try to tank those games if they do play regular season games, but I don't see that happening personally. I think that's a a good point, Lucas, and we're going to move on here just to uh, switch gears just a little bit here. We're going to talk about Mark Eversley, who recently left the Sixers to become GM of the Chicago Bulls. Eversley was notably in charge of the NBA draft um, strategy for the Sixers. That's a fairly big loss, theoretically, in the front office. I know this is something you really wanted to talk about, Stuart. So I'll let you take the floor here and just just tell me your initial thoughts on on Eversley leaving and why do you think it does or doesn't hurt the Sixers um, in a particularly big way? Well, when it was announced that Eversley had been named the Chicago Bulls general manager, I was doing a little happy dance all throughout my house. I think his record is as a draft person. Remember, he was Brian Colanto's number two person. He was his right-hand man. You look at the draft under Colangelo, first of all. Let's go forward with, you know, the, the horrible trade for Anzis Pansnicks. I'm sure not saying his name right. Uh, went pick 25th instead of when Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart and Derek White were available. And then we go to the next year with, they picked TLC and Furkan instead of, oh, by the way, as soon as he, Calangelo with Eversley as his right-hand man, took those two, the Toronto Raptors took Pascal Siakam. So now, and then, well, let's go to, yeah, they got Ben Simmons, right? It's number one pick. Big deal. My grandmother could news that Ben Simmons was the best player in the draft. We can flip over when Calangelo left. Brett Brown is the interim GM, which means Eversley has more of a bigger say in it than ever. 
that's where we go to Zaire Smith, who hasn't done, I think there's hope for him. I'm not saying he's not an NBA player, but we took him at 16 with the trade with Phoenix, gave up Michael Bridges, who's been a solid player. And yes, they have hit on some nice second round people. I will agree with that. I think that's mostly the scouts second round. That's not the big people usually. And yes, Matisse Thibuel was a great pick. It was worth giving it up. The uh, high second round draft pick to get him. But you overall, you look at their draft. He's the number, and don't forget Markel Fultz. He was number one fan. He even admitted for Markel Fultz. We, his loss is like, fine. I'm sure we can do better. So I, I'm actually going to have to uh, disagree with you there, Stuart. I, I was a big Eversley fan. I thought he should have gotten the job of a brand. I thought he was much more qualified and had much more experience. I also don't think uh, – I think you're giving a little bit of uh, – I, I think you're giving a little bit unfair uh, evaluations on some of these. Uh, I believe Forcon and TLC were drafted in 2016 with Ben. Um, and while TLC – I think the Sixers gave up too early on TLC. I wrote about that recently too in a, in a re rankings of the past uh, first-round picks in the past 10 years. And – so I think – and TLC has finally found a niche with the Nets. He's, you know, he's a rotational wing. He's still – I think he was just – the Sixers didn't have enough time to develop him because they jumped way too quick from being a rebuilding team to a contending team literally in one season. So I don't think that was fair on TLC. Forkon, let's be real. He, he was a bust the first two years. I'm not going to lie. I honestly thought resigning him last summer was a terrible move. But he's proven me wrong, proven a lot of people. You know, he's he's a quality sharpshooter off the bench now. He's still a little streaky, but, you know, time will, will fix that. You know, time and experience and continued growth will fix that. And I'm not going to say that he didn't miss on some people. I don't think so. But I think the players that he did get are better. And going back to percent Knicks, um, he did finally come over to the NBA this year. The Sixers decided to let waive his rights. He – Came on to the the Washington Wizards G League team. He got a two-way contract. He got onto the team, and he's shown flashes of legit offensive skill with with the Wizards. So, you know, obviously the trade itself was bad because I would never have traded a first-round pick for, for a guy like, you know, the guy I think he could have gotten in the second round easily. But I think, you know, he's not a terrible player. I just think they gave up too much, and that might have been on Colangelo because that was this – same draft that they drafted Markel in 2017. And Markel, I think, you know, college player Markel, I think it's fair to say that he was the number one pick, but at the same time, I don't think anybody expected him to have the drop-off he did due to, you know, the people he had around. You know, people say there was issues with his mom or whatever. And obviously the shoulder issue, the uh, thoracic outlet syndrome was a major issue that hampered him as well. So I don't think Eversley missing on him can completely be blamed on Eversley. I think a lot of people had him high. And then he's still showing flashes with Orlando. It's just if if his shoulder ever gets right and his shot gets back to it, you know, he might be scary in Orlando. But right now he's not. He's just, you know, starting level point guard that can't shoot. Um, and you're right. He didn't, you know, he missed on Kuzma. I'm not going to lie. You know, but at the same token, he still got players like Landry Shamit. You got Shake Milton. Mario Shock, Shayok looks like a solid fit. And Zaire Smith, while yeah, he hasn't showed anything, I think me and Chris both agree that right now he's not trending in the right direction. If if he continues in, but he did he I don't know if, if you've seen the G League stats, but he's he's shown progress and development in the G League. So I think there are positive trends for Zaire as well. You know, I'm not ready to give up on him yet, even though he probably will be included in some trade this summer to either get talent or relieve salary cap space. I think that's a strong possibility, but I think he's still a quality NBA player. So I think I, I'm much higher on Eversley than you are, Stuart, but I, I understand where you're coming from, especially as somebody from, you know, that lives in the heart of Philly. And we hate everybody who runs every franchise in Philadelphia. So of course we do. I, mm -hmm. I mean, my, my point is just finally would be Josh Harris, 
could have made Eversley Colangelo's replacement. He was the obvious choice. He was the personnel director. He was his right-hand man. Instead, he picks a guy who was experienced as an NBA executive lasting two or three months as a vice president. Solo on a totem pole, Elton Brand even said, there'd be meetings I would talk and no one would listen. And his other experience was as a general manager of the G League team. So basically he had virtually no NBA experience and the Sixers owners still picked him over Eversley, who had a ton of experience. That, that's a fair point. But I think also you have to remember because the Knicks wanted Brand before they hired Leon uh, as their general manager. But, and it was because of Brand's player connections. While Eversley is a great talent evaluator, solid talent evaluation, Brand has those player and agent connections that I don't believe Eversley does, at least to my knowledge. I, my theory is personally after they sold Paznicks and he was – as a personal guy, like recommending him, I think Josh Harris said, "Just forget it. <laughs> Not that this guy in charge of my franchise." But that's my personal theory. Fair enough. Fair enough. Chris, any thoughts? Yeah. So just just to kind of close things out here with Eversley, I I think I kind of lean more towards Stewart's side into the spectrum. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm happy he's gone, but it, it it's really just indifference for me. Um, he had a few hits. He had a few misses with regard to draft and, and, and the Sixers' success in the draft. I think Shake Milton, Landry Shamit, Matisse Thibault are all notable names. I personally can't really shell out a lot of blame. I don't know who to blame for the Markel Fultz situation just because that was so random and arbitrary and weird, and, and I really don't think you can blame anyone, honestly, in good faith. So that that was difficult. But as Stewart said, he also had some very – um, some more more unappealing picks. So for me, it's kind of just a mixed bag. There are a lot of guys who can give you a mixed bag in the draft. Most GMs and most personnel guys do it. That's pretty. He, to me, it's just kind of a standard uh, a transaction where where it just doesn't strike me as anything significant. Uh, we'll see how the Sixers do this upcoming summer in the draft. Um, but it, it's really too. Too far. We're too far out to see what they're going to do uh, this summer. So, yeah, for me, it's just indifference. It, it didn't really strike me in any big way. <laughs> one for one against, and one in the middle. They're yeah, Chris is pretty. Chris has been clear that he's very neutral on Mark Eversley in the past, which has kind of. I'm. Just, <laughs> I just like Chris. You got to pick a side, and he's just like, Nah, I'm going to be Switzerland here. Yeah, I don't know. He just—he's never really like been that important to me. I've never really had strong feelings toward Mark Eversley. So, okay. I wish him the best in Chicago. You know, the Bulls need some help, so hopefully he can give it to him. But it, it didn't really strike me as anything particularly catastrophic or or beneficial. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. I think more of the thing about I didn't like with Eversley is that it seemed like other NBA organizations seem to have the 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 uh, lowdown better than we did, it, which never happened with Hinky, by the way. Like the Celtics were able to smell out we want Fibule and get a second round pick out of it. The uh, you know again, unfortunately, the Celtics they did not really want Markel Fultz. They had. He didn't have a good workout with him. Apparently, according to reports, he didn't have a great workout with the Sixers either. And if we can argue, if they took Jason Tatum first, and this, the Lakers at number two were taking Lonzo Ball no matter what because he was a local hero, we would have gotten Markel Fultz at third, and he doesn't have the pressure of the number one pick. Maybe his shoulder is better. And we also would have had a, a lottery pick not given up. It just seemed the maneuvering that you need to do as an NBA veteran, and obviously Colangelo was, but he got outflanked, and Elton Brand's new, so he's probably relying on Eversley as a, the veteran there, and it just never seemed to be ahead of the game on anybody. Yeah, I, I think if we just take recent history into account and look at the Sixers' recent track record, and then we consider what Jimmy Butler said about the Sixers front office in his interview on the J.J. Reddick pod uh, a couple months ago, whenever that happened. 
Right. It's pretty clear that the Sixers front office is kind of a mess, and they don't always really know what they're doing. So I think you just have to come at it from that perspective where right. uh, whether that's on Elton or that's on the people around Elton, they're just – it's a really inconsistent group, and they may not have the best footing in terms of just how they're doing things. It's weird. The Sixers are a weird team all around. It, it, it's really hard to, to gauge uh, from the outside. But, yeah, for, as far as Eversley, it's just I, – I don't know. I didn't really care if I'm being perfectly honest. To be fair, Danny Ainge has the – has more has more like pool in the NBA and has I guess more connections than anybody else and I believe he said recently on the Zach Lowe pod, pod again that uh Low Posts Zach Lowe's podcast that uh he already knew prior to the trade that the Sixers were going to want to take Markel Fultz and he didn't do that trade without you know knowing that he was still going to get Tatum so. I don't think Tatum was an option, even though if he was and the Sixers took him, I think we have a dynasty in the making. It it didn't happen. Now the question, Lucas, is how come Danny Ainge knew that we were going to take Fultz no matter what, but we didn't know that Ainge was going to take Jason Tatum no matter what. It was after the draft, both he Tatum was told from the beginning that he was going to be their pick no matter where they picked. That's, that's, I think what I'm, my problem was be he, they were again. They were in the dark. The other team knew more about them than they did. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. But like I said, I think Danny Ainge is one of the best in the business. But you're right that uh, the Sixers don't really have. I I don't want. I don't know. I don't. I don't think they really know the network that well. Like you know the whisper network, you know the rumor right. network that well. So right. Another uh, example. You know, yep. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I can't really Never. give you a strong answer on that one. Well, that's why I'm glad Mark Eversley is going. That's just <laughs> one of the many reasons. Sorry. I'm yeah, I, I think for me, Stuart, I, I think you're making good. I think it goes way beyond Eversley. It's, I, I think the problems are beyond him. I don't think those all really fall on him. So I, I, I think the Sixers front office just needs an overhaul uh, from top to bottom. Like I don't think Elton has performed particularly well. I think they just need some changes from the top down. So so that might be why I'm indifferent on Eversley. It's just because I think I think the changes that are needed go way beyond him. All right. One positive I'm leaving is that maybe Elton Brand can pick his successor and Elton can have his like own people instead of being given everyone who worked under Brian Colangelo and made all these catastrophic trades and poor draft picks and he wasn't given a choice, like you're the GM. These are your guys. They're great. Josh Harris gave all promotions and everything right before Elton was promoted to GM. At least now, I, I'm not as bad down on brand as you are, actually. I think he has some good possibilities and good thoughts. I just think he needs a better surrounding cast around him. I also think it's people who he has said when before he was named GM looked kind of down upon him and didn't really listen to him. Now he can has a chance to get his own people who think like him, who follow his directions. I think he actually is salvageable. Well, I hate to burst your bubble on this, Stuart, but it sounds like he's probably just going to keep it as is for now. And the head of scouting, Chris, we talked about this. What was his name? His last name was Vincent. What was his first name again? Oh, um, Rosman? Rosman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, he's gonna. He was in charge of the scouting for last couple of drafts, at least. I think longer. I think he's been with the franchise for a good long whiles, and it sounds like Brand's gonna lean on him moving forward, at least for the time being. So, it doesn't seem like he's bringing in anybody new, Stuart. I'm sorry to tell you that. Well, maybe Rosman's his guy in the organization and he can rely on him instead of having to worry about interference from Eversley or, you know, yeah, I think it just maybe lines of communications are better. I'm just thinking more people who Elton Brand can see as his kind of people in the organization will just help things instead of just being like the little cherry on the top uh, and particularly people who don't really I'm not going to say respect them, but people who were his boss until that moment. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I do think it's worth noting that Elton Brand does still in the end report to ownership and it's really ownership that, that wanted to keep Colangelo's team around who didn't really want to get rid of Colangelo. You know, the reports at the time were that Philly didn't really want him to leave. It, it was just, he was a victim of circumstance. He kind of had to leave based on what had happened. So, so uh, it is, again, I think just way bigger than one person in the front office. And if anything, I think a lot of blame eventually falls on the ownership group for making the decisions that they've made. So, so it, it's just, there's a, a long rabbit hole that we can go down there, but uh, again, it just comes back to me not really caring that much about the Mark Eversley thing. I'll agree with that. I'll yeah. stop here. Ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Ownership probably I've I already advocated about the ownership needing to sell the the team. I've already wrote, written about that. So I'm I'm on board with changing ownership. All right. Thanks again guys for listening to another episode of the Six Cents podcast. You can follow, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a good review, whatever on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever you're listening, we will greatly appreciate it. Uh, constructive criticism, whatever you can give us, uh, we love it. We really do appreciate you listening. We know these are tough times, both with coronavirus and what's going on in the world. Um, and, and you spending an hour with us to talk Sixers basketball really means a lot. Um, thanks again to Stuart for coming on. You can follow him on Twitter at RealStuartL, and you can read his stuff on the Sixers since he always writes some really solid stuff. Um, so I suggest you go check him out. And we will be back with another episode next week. Thanks. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. <laughs>